0: Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we begin a new series this morning. We preach through the Bible. This is called expositional preaching. What's the word exposition means? It's a fancy term for explain. So our strategy, we believe the biblical strategy is we take a book of the Bible and we exposit it. We explain it. It's God's word, so we explain it to you what it means, trusting God the Holy Spirit to give us the strength to obey it. So our new expositional series is in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter. And really, what we're expositing, what we're explaining this morning is Jesus Christ. Because the Bible, from the very beginning to the very end, is God's story of salvation. So this morning and the next six months, we're going to be studying one specific chapter of that story of salvation. It's in 1 Peter. It's a letter that the Apostle Peter wrote. And sort of the statement that summarizes this chapter of God's story of redemption is the following. The series is entitled, Living as Suffering Saints for God's Promised Glory. Living as Suffering Saints for God's Promised Glory. We all suffer, don't we? I mean, some of us are suffering simply discrimination as Christians because of what we believe. Some of you may be suffering actual persecution as a Christian for what you believe. Some are suffering the brokenness of relationships, whether it's in your family, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, you're suffering. Or some of you are simply suffering the internal worry about your future, about your children, about your spouse, about your finances. We're all suffering. And God speaks into our suffering hope, hope of his glory. The apostle Peter wrote this letter to a group of saints who were suffering in the first century. He wrote this letter and he was telling them, don't be shocked by your suffering. You know, sometimes as Christians, we think once we become believers, hey, no more suffering. And suffering comes and it kind of shocks us. It, it disappoints us. And so God comes through the Apostle Peter, inspiring him to speak to us hope in our suffering. Why? So that we might live as suffering saints for God's promised glory. That that theme of this book, it runs kind of like a melody through one of your well-known songs. You know, there's sort of a line that's sort of the thematic line of a song, and when you hear that, you know, oh, here comes that song. Well, this is the thematic line of the book of 1 Peter. It's about living as suffering saints in a broken world for God's promised glory. And so, as we we begin to look at God's promised glory, as we begin to look at what it means to live as his saints, we look to this text. And if you look at the very first verse of this text, 1 Peter 1, verse 1, you will see that God calls us elect exiles. Elect exiles. That's, in fact, the title of this morning's message. Elect exiles. Now, the only... Exiles that I know well, and many of us in South Florida know well, left their homeland unwillingly and came to this country. And the ones that I know well spend much of their time sitting on milk crates outside of certain restaurants like La Carreta or sitting in chairs around domino tables, talking about the homeland and that dictator and pining away for life as it was until they grow old and they die as lonely people in a foreign land. They, they live in a country that they're very grateful for, very grateful for, but a language they don't understand, a culture they don't understand that moves a lot faster than theirs did. And they live sad, lonely lives. Is this what God is calling us to be and do living on this earth? Well, let's read. Let's read what it means for us to be elect exiles in a foreign land. And let's ask God for his grace to speak his grace and mercy to us. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Elect exiles. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, And for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So let's start with the original author, the Apostle Peter. He was a witness of Jesus Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And then let's let's talk about the original recipients. They were Christians. He calls them here elect exiles of the dispersion. So they were scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And then he mentions some places. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And you might be thinking, Hialeah, I know, but Bithynia? Where is Bithynia? That's a great question, and I'm glad you asked it, because this map is going to answer that question for you. This is a map of the Mediterranean, and if you look to the upper right, you will see modern-day Turkey. The Taurus Mountains lie just at the bottom or southern portion of it where it says Lycia and Cilicia. And then north of those Taurus Mountains in modern-day Turkey, you will see the provinces of Asia. There it is. Bithynia, Galatia, Cappadocia. These are the people to whom Peter is writing. Well, where is Peter and when is he writing this? Well, Peter as many of us know well from our past religious experience, is the pastor of the church at Rome. That's, yes, he is. And he is riding in the mid-60s. So he's in Rome, some 12 to 1,500 miles away from Turkey. And he's writing to Christians in this area, and he's calling them elect exiles because they are suffering. They're suffering. They're a little surprised by it. They're saying, kind of like you and me, it's like, hey, I'm a Christian. Why am I suffering? Why these broken relationships? I can kind of understand broken relationships in the world. I can almost understand persecution from the Roman Empire. But Lord, why the broken relationship in my family? Why is my son not like me anymore? Lord, why in the church is there broken relationships? Lord, why are my finances going downhill? Lord, I made, I I, I responded to your call to salvation and I lost my job because I said something because of my faith and someone recorded it and they told my superiors and I got fired. Lord, why am I sick? I serve you. I tithe. Hey, Corey, my giving statement, praise God. And now I'm sick. I've got cancer. My wife is sick. I'm suffering. I don't understand it. I'm living as an exile. I find myself sitting on a milk crate outside of La Carreta and Hialeah. You know those guys you see when you drive by late at night and they're smoking big cigars and they're talking really loudly and they're mad. (laughs) And they're confused. And they're exiles. I thought I was your kid, God. Why am I living like this? Exile. Homeless. Jobless. Without hope, seemingly, in this world, what's going on, God? God sends Peter to write this epistle to those people. And not just to them, but to you and to me. Are you experiencing some of that right now? You know, when it hits us, it kind of shocks us, doesn't it? We start doubting who we are. We start doubting what does it mean to be a Christian. We even start doubting God. Where is he? Where is he? And so this letter comes to us, and this is what Peter says to us. Okay, remember the thematic statement? Remember that little phrase, that little tune that reminds you of the song you like so much? Well, here's what Peter says to them in this book. Suffering always precedes glory. Suffering always precedes glory. I want the glory. Don't you want the glory? I don't want the suffering. You know, it's January... And we all ate way too much, right? For the holidays. (laughs) And so what do we want to do? We want to lose weight, right? Depending on your level of vanity, you want that buff body, right? Yeah, we want it. But we don't want to do the work to do it. (laughs) I mean, I don't. Come on, let's be honest. Uh, Going back to eat salads. I hate salad. My wife told me the other day, honey, you want me to prepare a salad? Would you like apples on it and raisins and turkey, low-fat turkey? And I just said, no, I want a pizza and ribs and <laughs> chips and french fries, slathered in greasy cheese. Right? That's the good stuff. All right. <laughs> but, but seriously, we've been called to glory. But here's the thing that may surprise you. But that call to glory, you're going to receive glory. If you're in Jesus, you will have a glory that will blow your mind. Better than any Disney experience, better than any Caribbean cruise, better even than a Mediterranean cruise. There will be a glory that you will experience forever and ever and ever. But here's the truth, friend. Here's the truth. It's not fine print. God doesn't put it at the bottom of the document. You will suffer. Because your Savior suffered. And God comes and speaks to us through the letter of 1 Peter for the next six months, church. And he's going to encourage us in the midst of our suffering. Hang in there. Live as my people and declare my glory. And he's going to do it compassionately. Because here's the deal. Jesus suffered. See, it's important that Peter said, Peter, an apostle, look at that verse 1, Peter, an apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ, an apostle is one who physically experienced and witnessed Jesus' time on earth, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, and Jesus' ascension. And so Peter says, I'm coming to you with this message because if your savior, if your Lord suffered before he went into glory, I saw him pinned on a cross, bleeding, suffocating to death, naked, harassed, ridiculed. I saw him die for you. And then I saw him raised from the dead. And then I was standing there and I saw him ascend into glory. And that's our path, church. That's our path. And this this letter is here to encourage us on that path. And God is teaching us how to live this life by his power and his spirit with the blood of Jesus covering us. In fact, look at the end of our text this morning. Look how it ends. May grace and peace be be multiplied to you. May grace and peace be multiplied to you at the end of verse 2. You see, Peter is saying, I'm Peter the apostle, and I'm calling you to live a life for God's glory in the midst of your suffering. You are elect exiles. Let me explain to you what that means, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you out there in the neighborhoods of Bithynia. Bithynia. It's just west of Okeechobee Road. Or Cappadocia or Asia, Galatia, it doesn't matter, Hialeah, Pembroke Pines, Miami Beach, Miami Lakes, Miramar, even Miami Shores. Let me speak to you this word. And, and here's, here's what he's saying. Here's a summary of what our text is saying. Here's, here's what it means in light of our suffering, how we can bear witness to God's glory. Here, here it is on the screen. God the Father chose us according to his foreknowledge in the consecrating work of God the Spirit to obey God the Son sprinkled with his holy blood. What jumps out at you there? The Trinity. God the Father foreordained us consecrating us in God the Holy Spirit for obedience to God the Son and the sprinkling of his blood. Well, let's unpack that very, very, very long sentence that summarizes our text. Point one, chosen by God the Father. Look at verse one. To those who are elect, elect. What in the world does that word elect mean? Al, I'm an elect exile. Exile I got. I see a bunch of them all over Miami. But what's elect? Is this an election? Am I running for office? What does elect mean? Well, elect means that God... The Father chose you. That's what it means. And now I'm going to do something here. It's called the analogy of scripture. I'm going, to, I'm going to take this scripture we just read, the word elect, and I'm going to run over to another scripture penned by another apostle, Paul, to help us understand what elect means. So on the screen, look at Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 3 through 5, <clears throat> this gives us a, a better picture of what elect means. Peter probably was referring back to Paul when he's writing this. You know, Peter and Paul, uh, they, they were the sort of representing the two major wings of the, of the Christian movement at that time. And so they came together eventually, and they came together in Rome. And Paul's imprisonment enabled that to happen because Peter was there. He was the pastor of the church in Rome, remember. And I digress way too much. So back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Listen to what Paul writes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he, ready, chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. Whoa, you mean I was elect before the foundation of the world? That's before I was born. I wasn't even running for office. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. That's what it means to be an elect exile. God chose us. The word elect and the word exile was designed by Peter to remind his largely Gentile audience sprinkled with some Jewish Christians that they now were the new people of God. See, elect would have been speaking to them, wait, wait, I thought Israel was your elect. I thought Israel were the chosen ones of God. Well, in the Old Testament, they were. But now in the New Testament, the church is the new Israel, the new elect of God, not just Jews. There were Jews in the church in those areas, but Jews and Gentiles. You see, here's the point that God is making to all of us. It is not nationality, nor race, nor socioeconomic status that determines the people of God. It is God's choice in Christ, chosen by God. But that Ephesians passage, Austin tells us that he chose us in love to be his sons and his daughters. So when we suffer, we suffer not as orphans in some war-torn country all alone, we suffer as sons and daughters of God. You are suffering this morning, not as an orphan. You're suffering as a son or a daughter. Listen, when, when, when someone is adopted, particularly when they're adopted as a, an older child, when they come to that new country, there's a new language. Many of us have experienced this because our parents came to this country. right? You suffer. You don't know the language initially. It's a new place, new customs. But you ask any adopted child, no matter how much they're suffering in this country, would they rather be suffering as a son or a daughter in this country or as an orphan in Siberia tied to a crib with three other people using a bucket to do their business? Which one would you rather suffer? See, we suffer, yes, but we suffer as sons and daughters. He will never leave us. We're his. We can say, Daddy, I'm hurting. Daddy, I'm suffering. And we are his. God has given us the grace as elect exiles. Elect exiles. That word exile as well would remind them of Israel. Exile, that word there, exile, and then it's modified with the word um, dispersion to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. That word dispersion, in the Greek, it's diaspora. That was the term given Israel after God sent them out in exile away from the promised land because of their sins. They were the diaspora. Well, now the church is being called elect exiles of the dispersion because unlike Israel, The church was dispersed, not because of their sin, but because of their Savior. They're all over the Roman world, and they're exiles in that world, and they're not at home because that kingdom is not their kingdom, and the language people speak of that kingdom isn't the language of heaven, not because of their sin, but because of their Savior, because they are sons and daughters, and he's chosen them to display his glory. David Helm, In his commentary on 1 Peter says it this way on the screen. In Christ, we are God's chosen, his elect in all the earth. And yet, we are living our lives out in a complex and often confusing context. We are capable of waking up each morning in joyful praise and going to bed in dejected spirit. Our soul rises in praise and falls in sorrow on the same afternoon. Have you ever experienced one moment laughing with the joy of heaven and an hour later weeping with the heartbreak of earth? Welcome to life as an elect exile. That's what he's talking about here. When he says, elect exiles of the dispersion. But God comes in and he encourages us. And look how God is displayed here. It is the triune God. God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who does the work of adopting us in Christ Jesus. And that's point two. Consecrated by God, the Holy Spirit. Look at verse two according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So we just talked about that. Chosen by God, the foreknowledge of God the Father, before the foundation of the earth. Peter is borrowing from Paul. He's not stealing from Paul, he's borrowing from Paul. And he's saying, foreknowledge of God the Father. He's thinking about Ephesians 1, before the foundations of the earth. This is God's plan. God chose you before the foundation of the earth. Do you believe that? And he, cho- If you're a Christian and he chose you because he loved you before you ever did anything to earn it, whew, that helps me when I'm suffering. I want you to feel that love. I want you to know that love. I want you to believe that love this morning, no matter what you're going through. And then reading on verse 2. In the sanctification of the Spirit. So you have God the Father, and now you have God the Spirit. What does it mean? What does that mean? In the sanctification of the Spirit. Well, that word sanctification comes from the Greek word hagiasmo. And the root word is hagias. I'm not talking about ice cream. Hagias. And that word hagias is the word that many New Testament passages translate as saints. Hagias is what God calls his people. They're saints. They're holy ones. And Hagiasmo is sanctified. Hagiasmo in the Holy Spirit. What's that talking about, Al? Is it talking about me becoming more and more like Jesus? No, it's not. Not here. You know what it's talking about? It's talking about your salvation, your, your conversion. What it's saying is here that God foreordained you to be saved, and then he sent the Holy Spirit to actually save you. This is talking about the regenerative. That's a fancy word for making alive something that's dead. The regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit coming into your heart and saying, hey, you're a sinner. Ah, Repent. Yes. Believe. Yes. Get baptized. Yes. That's what it's talking about. As my friend David was telling me this morning, you can share with somebody 45 minutes and if the Holy Spirit doesn't come and bring that truth into your heart, you're not going to be born again. You're not going to be saved. You're not going to be one of God's people. But you can share for one second the truth of Jesus and if the Holy Spirit's there, he's going to become or she's going to become a believer. That's what it's talking about here. Sanctified in the Holy Spirit. Chosen by God the Father. Sanctified in the Holy Spirit. That word sanctified means set apart. I mean, it can mean a lot of things, but here it means set apart. Yes, you're made holy positionally, and we're going to see in a moment how the Holy Spirit can do that based upon what? The work of Jesus, God the Son. But you're set apart. You're no longer your own. You're God's. And then number three. Number three, obedient to God the Son. Obedient to God the Son. At the end of verse 2, for obedience to Jesus Christ, God the Son, and for sprinkling by his blood. Edmund Clowney, in his commentary on 1 Peter, says it this way on the screen. It is by the Spirit that God has given us new birth. That's that sanctified in the Spirit, that being born again, that's the work of the Spirit. And it is by God's blood that we are cleansed and redeemed. We're hagios, we're holy ones, we're made holy by what? By your works? By giving to Palm Vista? By doing something great? No, you're made holy by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit accomplishes Our salvation. See where it says for obedience to Christ? You might be asking yourself, what does that mean now? Does that mean I'm going to walk out this perfect life where I live every relationship perfectly? That's not what it's talking about here. Other places it talks about that, okay? But not here. The obedience that it's talking about here is the obedience that God calls every person to bow their knee, repent of their sins, and believe on Jesus. So God the Father foreordains you. God the Spirit then sets you apart, gives you the ability to understand. You were dead, now he makes you alive. And he then is going to save you based upon what Jesus did, the sprinkling of his blood. We'll get to that in a second. And the obedience he's calling us to, actually the obedience that he's saying these people have already exercised is the obedience of faith, repentance, and belief in Christ. Now listen, I don't know everybody here. There are faces here I've never seen before. There are some that I wish... No, no. There are faces I've never seen before. Just kidding, guys. Come on. But seriously, I probably shouldn't have joked there, but I'm nervous, all right? But I'm going to make an appeal to you. Obey the Son. Obey the Son. God calls you to repent and believe. Obey Him. That's what this text is all about. This is a call, dear unbelieving friend, with all respect, with all love from my heart. But he's coming back one day as the judge. Obey him. Bow your knee. Confess your sin. And say, Jesus, you're my Lord. Obey the son. And dear Christian, if you've obeyed the son... Here's the good news for you. You're adopted. You're chosen. You're an elect exile. And as you suffer, I pray that the fact that God gave you the ability to obey the son would help you right now in your suffering. I don't know what you're suffering. I don't know what you are suffering. I'm sure it is bad. It's bad for all of us. Each one of our pain is is pain. But listen, I encourage you this morning. Hang in there. Hang in there. Hang in there. Now we got to talk about This sprinkled blood. All right, Al, I've been following you thus far, but Peter just threw me a curve, all right? I mean, the ball was coming right down the middle of the plate. I'm about to step into it, and it just drops off the plate, okay? I mean, it's a slider curve drop ball. And I missed it. What in the world is he talking about at the end? For obedience to Jesus Christ, I got that, and and for sprinkling with his blood. What? What is that all about? Well, let me tell you what it's all about. Peter, being a Jew, right now is calling the attention to the Gentiles in all these churches. And he's doing it so that the pastors, like me or like Corey, can stand up and explain it to them. Because many of them are going, what? But you know who's not going, what? The Jewish Christians. Because as soon as they hear sprinkled by the blood, you know where their brain goes immediately? I'm sure where many of your brains went immediately, right? Exodus 24, of course, right? Yeah, Al. <laughs> All right, let's go there. Exodus 24. This is what Peter is referring to. It's on the screen. Exodus 24. This sprinkled blood. Oh, friends, th- friends, this is where this scripture takes flight. This is where this scripture just goes into supersonic mode. You ready? All right, here we go. Exodus 24, verses 3 through 8. Read it with me here on the screen. Moses came. By the way, let me, let me give you the, the context this is now in about 1500 BC. When was first Peter written? 64, 65 AD. Do the math. About 1500 years before. Right? Moses is at Mount Sinai and God's people, Israel, have just come out of Exodus, out of Egypt in the Exodus. So he's writing to them. They're at the mountain. The mountain's quaking. Moses is talking. They're all like, ah, you know, and, and I mean, God's speaking listen to what God says. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord. What were the words of the Lord? Ten commandments. And all the rules and all the other commandments. And all the people answered with one voice. Imagine, two million people and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. It's reverberating across the desert. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings, peace. Remember Peter ends our text with grace and peace, peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood. Now there was a lot of blood flowing here. Oxens are big. There's a bunch of them getting sacrificed, blood everywhere, blood everywhere and the, half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant. This is the covenant God's making. He's constituting his people at Mount Sinai. He took the words of the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they all said, again, two million, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. Let's put a pause here. Were they? Are we? That's why this next part's so important. God knew that. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people. You're there, and blood is getting thrown all over you. Blood. Warm, stinky, bull's blood. The blood of goats. It's on your face, it's on your clothing, it's on your children. Blood. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people. And listen to what he said. Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made. The Lord has made. The Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Oh, friends, that blood speaks of a better blood. 1,500 years before Christ, that blood was meant to remind them, or not remind them, but, but, but point to the better blood of Jesus Christ. And the blood of Christ poured out on the cross is the blood that that blood was based on, and it's that blood that makes us holy. It's that blood that forgives our sins when we don't do the words of the covenant. And oh, altars? Jesus Jesus shed his blood, and it was sprinkled on a better altar than the one that Moses made at the foot of Mount Sinai. Jesus' blood was sprinkled on the heavenly altar at the throne of God, and that blood takes away your sin and your penalty and mine and those people's, and it's that blood. That's what it means to be an elect exile. And heaven is where we're going. And we're suffering here. Glory is what is ours. And we're suffering here. But we're suffering as those whose sins have been forgiven. By that blood. By that blood. By that blood. How does Peter end then our text, based upon the fact that we have peace with God, based upon the fact that we have our sins forgiven. Peter, I could just hear him shouting this as he's writing it, and he's just writing this down, and he's saying, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace, church, look at me. Grace that you might suffer well as an elect exile. So that you might display the glory of God. You know where the glory of God is most clearly displayed? At the cross. And peace. Peace for your broken, contentious relationships. Peace for your worrying heart. Why? Because you have peace with the one everyone must have peace with. That's the holy God. Jesus has formed a pact of peace. The prince of peace is your peace with God. So peace. 1st century Christian in Bithynia who's suffering. Peace. 21st century Christian in Miami who's suffering. The peace that passes understanding. It would guard your hearts. It would guard your minds. That you might display God's glory in the midst of your suffering. And walk in peace in the midst of your turmoil. The triune God, the strength and the majesty and the glory and the comfort of the triune God comes and strengthens our very weak and troubled souls. This morning, as we study 1 Peter, why? So that we would not fear. Do not fear my little flock, Jesus said. I've overcome the world and I'm coming back for you. And you will experience glory after the suffering. Let us pray. Lord, if there are some here in this room who do not know you, they have not obeyed the Son, I'm praying right now that they would bow, as it says in in the Psalms, and they would kiss the Son. That your Spirit would sanctify them in the sense of your regenerative work, make their dead hearts, their, their deaf ears, their blind eyes, open those blind eyes, unstop those deaf ears and give life to those dead hearts and minds and push away the darkness, deliver them from Egypt, the world, and, and Pharaohs, the Satan of this world, and, and now bring them into your kingdom and call them as your elect exiles. And if that's you this morning, oh friend, do business with God right now. This is between you and God, repent and believe. Lord, for those of us that are your elect exiles, that are your children, that are your sons and your daughters, but we're in a foreign land, the, the language around us is different from our language. The values around us are different from our values. It's not comfortable. We had to leave our island with swaying palm trees and a slower pace of life. And we're in a foreign land. And at times we don't like it. And we sit around complaining to one another. Lord, turn us. That instead of talking about how it could be or was, every time we gather as Christians, as elect exiles, we will talk about what it's going to be. That visions of glory would, would be in our eyes. Lord, this heavenly kingdom that we are a part of, that we've yet to see with our physical eyes. Lord, as we study your word, as we fellowship with your people, we would see it with our eyes of the Spirit. We would long for it. And it would, it would purify us. It would encourage us. Oh, triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, do this work in your church, that we might not fear, but rather have faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing, Whom Shall I Fear?